I've titled the message today, The Power of Love in One Big Family. We, we preached on last week, The Power of One Big Family. But today, I want to take a step forward and I want to focus on the one most important aspect of, of, of a big family. And that is biblical, Christ-like, spiritual love. I want you to take your Bibles and I want you to go with me to 1 Corinthians 13. Let's stand together as we read God's Word, verses 1 through 13. Now there's something that, when I say bothers me, it doesn't bother me as much as it, it's just something I notice. Don't you notice that certain songs and certain scriptures, you only hear them at funerals? For instance, what is a passage of scripture you hear or you read at funerals a lot? The 23rd Psalm, right? And it's almost like, oh, that's where you use it. You don't use it anywhere else. And then there's a passage of Scripture that you only hear about or read about, for the most part, at what? Weddings. 1 Corinthians 13. And so, <clears throat> I want to do something more than just talk about it from a wedding standpoint, because God gave it to us for an everyday life standpoint. Beginning in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 13. <clears throat> if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, pretty substantial isn't it but do not have love i am nothing if i give all i possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that i may boast but do not have love i gain nothing love is patient love is kind it does not envy, it does not boast, it, it is not proud, and it does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered. It keeps no wrong, no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. Love never fails where there are prophecies they will cease where there are tongues they will be stilled where there is knowledge it will pass away for we know in part and we prophesy in part but when completeness comes what is in part disappears and i love what he says here when i was a child i talked like a child i thought like a child I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, when I became an adult, I put away the ways, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. 
Father, thank you for your word. Help us to see the best that we can in these few minutes. The totality of this entire chapter. Help us to see the foundation of this chapter. Help us to see that love is not necessarily demonstrated in certain ways. And let us see who love truly is. And I pray it in His name, in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. Now before we get into it, by way of introduction, verse 11, when he says, When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. I put away the things of childhood behind me. If you want a quick picture of biblical love from someone other than Jesus, okay, because we're going to focus on that in just a moment, Paul is giving us a picture of what true biblical love is. True biblical love grows up. It's not childish. It is mature. It's different. And unfortunately, bringing it down to our level, unfortunately, so many adults today, and even Christian adults, have not matured to this basic understanding. And unfortunately, so many adults grow up and they don't put away childish thinking. They don't put away childish reasoning. They don't put away childlike talking. And they continue to do it. And they wonder why they struggle in their relationships. And so Paul is saying, hey, for me and for all of us, I can tell you this. This is what biblical love looks like. In essence, you can sum it up to say that unbiblical love is childish. Biblical love puts those things away. Now, there's something you've got to keep in mind. There's a difference between childish love and childlike love. Jesus said, unless you become like a little child, you will in no no way inherit the kingdom of God. So you have to have childlike faith. But when you have childlike faith and you completely believe in Jesus Christ, He grows you so that, and He develops you so that you don't continue to have childish love. So with that said, let's look at what the evidence of love is not. What love is not, in essence? Number one, the evidence of love is not the exercise of spiritual gifts alone. It's not just the exercise of spiritual gifts. In verses 1 and 2, the Bible says here, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move a mountain but do not have love, I am nothing. Paul is reminding us that the picture of love is not just doing for God. 
I know some people, and I've known people over the years, that are some of the most hardest workers in the church. They are using their spiritual gifts. They're amazing teachers as far as knowledge is concerned. They have these unbelievable gifts, and they do all of that, and they sacrifice themselves for the cause, though it seems. But they're some of the meanest people you've ever met in your life. And as the old song says, they're meaner than a junkyard dog. And as a Christian, you look at that, and you, you look at it as a calf looking at a new gate, and you, you're kind of like confused, and you say, man, I see all that they're doing, and they're active in the church, and they're, you know, they're, they're serving as a deacon, or they're serving as a pastor, or they're serving as a teacher, or they're, 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 they're teaching children, and all of that, and I see all this commitment from their lives, but my gosh, they are so mean and hateful to people. Well, that's what the Bible's talking about. Does it mean that they're not Christians? Not necessarily. But what it does mean is that they haven't grown in biblical love. And they are substituting that in their heart. They're substituting the change that God wants to make in their heart. And they're getting busy. And all they're doing is doing busy work. And so the evidence of love is not just spiritual gifts. Now, I'm not saying that if you're using your spiritual gift doesn't mean you don't love Jesus. No, no, to the contrary. That's, but, but your spiritual gift and using it is not just the only thing. It has to be manifested in what love is, which we're going to talk about in just a moment. Number two, the evidence of love is not the manifestation of faith in the power of God. I know people that, man, believe God and believe His Word. But again, they have problems showing what love is all about. He says, though I have faith to move mountains. I mean, I, I, I've known some people that have this unbelievable knowledge of prophecy and things to come and what God has said in Ezekiel and what the Word of God has said in Revelation and how it applies to what's going on in the world today and they can teach all about prophecy. But they're not very kind. And it's not just a manifestation of faith in the power of God. I know people that believe in the power of God. But the evidence of love is not there. The evidence of love, number three, is not the proud sacrificing of oneself for others in the kingdom. Notice the word I used here, the word proud. The proud sacrificing of, of oneself. It says here in verse 3, If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing unfortunately a lot of church people a lot of christian people who are committed to the church know how to work they know how to serve they they know how to do martha's job in the bible and it's important martha's job is important 
But if you're doing Martha's job but you're, and you're never sitting at the feet of Jesus and you're never allowing the truth of God's Word to transform you from the inside out, you're just doing all of this work so that you can make yourself feel good or so that you can boast about how you work and you feel like you're immune from the other side of it. But that's not right. So what is love? Number one, love is the evidence of Christ in you. In other words, here's what it is. Love is defined in one person, Jesus Christ. He is the picture of love. You know, when people try to define love by using the word love, like love is love, it would be like saying a dog is a dog. Um, vanilla is vanilla. Chocolate is chocolate. What does that mean? Well, love wins is a slogan you hear a lot today. And what I find that to be is not so much love. I find it to be self-centered lust. It's what I want. You see, biblical love is the manifestation of Jesus Christ in the world. The Bible says, you want to know God? Look at Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 1 says that God in these last days has spoken to us by His Son, Jesus Christ. That's love. Self-sacrificing. Agape love. And love in you is the evidence of Christ in you. As a matter of fact, we read this entire chapter, and as you read all these adjectives and you see love described, that's literally describing Jesus Christ Himself. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus does not envy. He does not boast. He is not proud. He does not dishonor others. He is not self-seeking. He is not easily angered. He keeps no record of wrongs. Jesus does not delight in sinful desires, but He rejoices in the truth. Jesus always protects. Jesus always trusts. Jesus always hopes. And He always perseveres. What happens to a person when they get saved? They discover true love for the first time in their life. You think you know what love is as a non-Christian. You have no idea. I had no idea what love was until I became a Christian. You see, see love in my book, even though I, I didn't define it as such, it was, it was a selfish thing it was what somebody could do for others it's what I felt in other words love was a feeling to me and then when I got saved the son of God himself came to live within me through the presence of the Holy Spirit and all of a sudden now I began to see others the way Christ saw others and I began to love them like Christ would love other people and when you love like Christ loves, and Christ lives in you. Everything else in life takes on a different focus and meaning. Number two, 
love is revealed through what it does for others. Love is revealed for what it does for others. We just read it in verses 4 through 5. So it's about, it's about others. Love is patient. <laughs> Do you have any pet peeves that uh, get your impatient meter going? Oh, I do. I do. Anybody who works in the medical profession, my wife does. I love doctors. Appreciate them. Appreciate all that they do. One of my pet peeves is this. You have a 1030 appointment. That doctor's time is valuable. Right? Well, my time's just as valuable. And you go to a doctor's appointment, and 10 times out of 10, that I, my experience is the staff does a great job. You get there 10 minutes early. I'm usually, you know, got blood pressure taken, everything weighed, uh, in the room, nurse comes in, whatever. All that's done by 1030, usually, on a 1030 appointment. And then the wait is on. I start texting Penny 30 minutes later. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm not happy. I'm, I should walk out. Well, maybe the doctor had an emergency. Well, maybe they should come tell me that. One thing I will say is my general uh, practitioner, my, my, what do you call them now? Um, uh, your, your primary. Primary, she's amazing. Dr. Provost. Uh, and she, she don't mess around, man. You got a 1030. So I... I love, we love Dr. Provost, but there have been other doctors we've gone to, and, um, and, and it hasn't been that way. And, and, man, that happened to me a couple of weeks ago. And I'm, I'm just being honest. I'm sitting in that chair, and I'm still thinking, 20 minutes went, 40 minutes, an hour and a half. And I'm like, my head was about to blow off. I was trying to hold it down. I just stay. I said, she come take my blood pressure now. They're going to admit me because I'm, I'm jacked up. Same thing happened to me the other day. Went to the doctor to get that CDL physical. Three hours later, I got out of there. But patience. Love is patient, the Bible says. See, it's about others. And I was reminded that, okay, the only way I'm going to get through this, because when the doctor finally came in after that two-hour wait that I had, I wanted to say, you're going to pay me now. I ain't paying you nothing. <laughs> and, uh, but when he walked in, Mr. Chairman, how are you doing? <laughs> hey, Doc, I'm doing wonderful. Sorry about the wait. Oh, it's okay, Doc, no problem. I understand you're busy. And God's like, you liar. But the reason we battle with that as Christians is because we know that it's, it's rooted in our selfishness for what we want. And people who don't battle that, 
usually are the ones that show themselves and act out and because they don't care. But when you care, and when you have Christ within you, and you want to live life loving God the way you ought to love God, these things matter to you. And it's about what it does for other people. So my patience doesn't take out on other people what my flesh wants to take out on them. Love is kind. Man, there's no law against love, the Bible says. There's no law against kindness. Try it once in a while. Be kind to people. They're going to think you're fake. And that's awesome because it's making them think. But keep going to that same spot and that same place and seeing those same people. And be kind to them on a regular basis as much as you can. It's what Jesus would do. And on and on he goes. It does not envy. does not boast. Look at me. I'm, <laughs> I, I literally had a man come into the office years ago in the late 1990s, and he told me this. He literally told me this. He said, I am so proud that I'm a humble man. Again, I was like a Catholic in a new gate. Like, huh? Don't understand that one. Doesn't dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. Guys, church, brothers and sisters, that's hard to do. Easy to read, but hard to do. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Woo! Keeps no records of wrongs. A sure sign that you're not practicing biblical love in marriage is when you get in a disagreement and argument, you bring all the stuff up from the past. I mean, you journaled it. You put it all down because you, you read it every day in your mind and in your heart. And you pass it before your eyes every day. And you're just waiting for the right opportunity when, when your spouse does something wrong that you can regurgitate all that back on top of them. But yet, when it's you on the other end of it and they bring something up, you're like, oh, you were supposed to forgive me. What about that? <laughs> Bible says it keeps no record of wrong it's what it does for others in other words if we're going to be like Jesus we're going to live a life of love and we're going to let a lot of things go the Bible says love covers a multitude of sins because I love you I'm not holding it against you I'm not even going to bring it up to you we don't even have to have a meeting I've had people I want to have a meeting with you we had this Penny and I had this years ago lady used to come to this church we bought a minivan, a minivan, to haul our rugrats everywhere. And she came into our office, and she said she was having a hard time tithing because we bought a minivan. I said, what are we supposed to drive? Am I supposed to have a horse and a wagon? What am I supposed to drive? She didn't like that it was a new one. I don't buy new, new vehicles anymore. I've learned, but, but, but it didn't matter. And, she, and I said, but here's the, here's the thing. You see, you see, I'm paid a salary. 
I'm not paid based on the offering this week or last week. We had a great offering last week, over $13,000 offering, general fund offering. (laughs) If that's the case, man, I'm living large because I pocketed all that money. I can't even even sign checks. I don't have access to the money because we don't operate that way. We operate with accountability. I'm just a pastor. I get paid a salary. What does it matter to you if I bought a new van or not? But that person had issues with us because of that and then she would remind us every now and then why she wasn't a tither keeping a record of wrong but a year later she bought a truck that cost three times what my minivan cost I wanted to go to her and say well can you start tithing now But I let it go. You say, well, but you're keeping a record of wrong because you still remember it. No, 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 I'm not, I'm not holding it against her anymore. I just remember, I remember the scenario. And you got to let things go. I love her. I was like, yeah, she, whatever reason, whatever, she wanted to have an issue, and, and that was between her and God. And I told her, I said, your giving and your tithing is not between you and me. It's between you and God, and you, you, you deal with that. We love you and whatever, but we're going to keep the minivan. Number three, love stands against evil behavior. Love does not rejoice, does not delight, does not take pleasure in sinful behavior. That's what that verse says. And it's amazing to me how anybody can read the Bible And read what the Bible says about human behavior and what's sinful and what's not. What's moral and what's not. What's right before God and what's not. What's an abomination before God and what's acceptable before God. And it's amazing to me how anybody can read the Bible and try to justify sinful behavior and and use the word love to say that. Just like the young lady who wanted to challenge me on my biblical belief and biblical preaching about sexual sin not just homosexuality but adultery and sex before marriage and on and on and on and all kinds of sexual morality but her focus was on the issue of 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 homosexuality and she said i can never come back to this church because my god is a god of love she said and i said well your god Whatever God you serve is not the God of the Bible because the God of the Bible does not delight in sinful relationships. It doesn't. It's wrong. Well, what about people who live together and not married, but it's a a man and a woman? You, You know what? We used to call that shacked up. It's just as wrong. It's sinful. It's wrong. I can still love people, but not delight in their sinful behavior. But you see, the world we live in today, they don't want to hear that. 
They say that if you love them, you're going to accept and rejoice and enjoy and agree with all their sinful behavior. And I'm just telling you this. Listen, and I see, I see this happening. I see people who claim to be Christians, who claim to love the Lord all these years to stand for what was right and to stand against ungodly behavior. And then when their children start embracing ungodly lifestyles, all of a sudden they change. And they start accepting it. And that's not biblical love. One of my children one time asked if they could be on a committee in our church to serve. And I said, no, you're unqualified. And he said, well, why? And I said, because you're living with somebody you're not married to. Would you... you I can't believe you said that to your kids. Why? Why? Why can't you believe that? Why wouldn't I? It's the truth. God's not a respecter of persons when it comes to that. Jesus stood against sinful behavior. See, a lot of people miss this, but the woman caught in adultery that we... we we know so much about or we, we you know we talk about may not know a lot about her history and her life but she was caught in adultery and there was a group of men that were getting ready to stone her to death in public and Jesus showed up and Jesus bent down and he wrote something in the sand in the dirt some theologians and historians believe he wrote a passage of scripture very well may have. Don't know for sure. Others believe, and this is kind of where I lean to, this is kind of what I would think, but may, may, maybe I'm wrong. Others believe perhaps he wrote the names of the men who were standing there with stones who had had sex with her. And that's when Jesus said, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. In other words, Jesus said, you're no different than her. They dropped their stones and they walked away. And Jesus said, where are your accusers? Neither do I condemn you. But notice what he said, go and sin no more. I accept you right where you are. I'm here to forgive you. I'm here to change your life. You don't have to live that way anymore. Jesus meeting the, the other woman at the well. And he goes, I'm going to give you water and you'll never thirst again. You'll never have to find it in a man because she was going from man to man to man. And the one man she was living with wasn't her husband. And then that woman, after she got saved and received the living water of life, went and she went to all those men and she went to, to all those folks in, in her community and she shared the gospel of how Jesus changed her life. Jesus never condones sinful behavior and sinful living. Love stands against evil, sinful behavior. And then one last thing here. Love is enduring. It has roots, man. It lasts. It lasts. Look at what the Bible says here in verses 7 and 8. Love always protects. 
always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Jesus never fails. He never fails. And the Bible says, as we study this morning in Sunday school, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author, the pioneer, the beginner, the author and the finisher of our faith. Fix your eyes on Him. Jesus will never fail you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. You're never alone when you're loving someone who hates you. Because it's enduring. It's just like Jesus. It lasts. Look at what the Bible says here in verse 13. And now these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Love is not a feeling. Love is a person. Jesus Christ. And it is manifested in our life in living obediently to what the Bible says. Well, preacher, I don't know too much about what the Bible says. Well, you better start learning it. And not just better, you ought to want to. When your heart is changed, you want to know who is this person that changed you? Who is this God that has come into your heart and and radically changed your life and transformed you? And it's a lifetime. The Word of God is living and sharper than any two-edged sword. God's Word is amazing. It's, It's the foundation of how we build our lives outside of the foundation of salvation. Heaven and earth will pass away, but the Word of God will never pass away. Love is enduring, and it lasts. Jesus is enduring. He lasts. And it grows. It grows. Let's see. How many married people we have in here? Raise your hand. Let me see. How many married people? Okay. That's... A chunk of us okay um how many of you um been married uh five years or less raise your hand five years or less hey how many let's see put your hands up two three couples okay all right good y'all are still together ain't you that's good have you found out that the person you met is just a person they got some um some ways that irritate you come on be honest tell us no i'm just kidding how many of you've been married um at least 20 years hmm. 30 years or more wow 35 years or more. 40 years or more. Look at y'all. 45 years or more. Y'all just keep on keeping on, you know. 50 years or more. 50. 50. How many years y'all been married? 61? 61 years. Look at that in love birds over there. That's awesome, isn't it? 
Now, the reason I bring that up is this. You get married. See, opposites attract when they get married. They seem to attract. But after you get married, opposites attack. Somewhere in all of those years, you get tired of fighting. You get tired of arguing. You get tired of the stress of it. And you decide to start seeing what the Bible says about how you should relate to this imperfect person that you married that somehow still loves you in spite of what they know about you now. And what happens is you get to a place where you grow in your love for each other. Love is a commitment over a long period of time. Marital love is. And then you wake up one day and you realize, man, when we were younger, all of this used to irritate us. Now it doesn't anymore. You know why? Because you allowed love to mature you. And then you begin to look at your spouse as someone that is created in the image of God. See, Miss Penny's not just my wife. She's my biblical sister. She is God's child. And I have a responsibility to love her because I have to answer to the Father for how I respond to her and treat her. And now, I'm just being honest, Penny and I, what, we're going to be 37 years, 37 years and a couple months. I'm telling you, I enjoy loving her more than anything she can do for me. I'm not patting myself on the back and boasting. You get to that point because it's the only way. And you realize that it's your job to minister to that person. And we don't just say, hey, honey, and sugar, just to act like we're being nice. We mean it. People who love each other and who are married and who are committed. Hey, would you cut me a piece of that pie that you just got for yourself after I sat down? My old self would have said, you know what? You, why didn't you ask me that while I was standing up? You waited on purpose till I sat down. And what she would say if I said that is she'd say, no, I didn't know what you were doing. We, I, I saw and you sat before I could say anything. And I'm like, I want one of those. But you know what I do now? Honey, would you go cut me a piece of cheesecake? Yeah, babe, I'd love to cut you a piece of cheesecake. You want me to feed it to you, too? <laughs> Remember, we have the empty nest. <laughs> Pastors are people, too, just so you know.
enduring love. It lasts. (laughs) Oh, babe, I don't look the way I used to. (laughs) Neither do I. One of my favorite sayings, you've heard me say it before. (laughs) I wake up some mornings and I'm looking in the mirror. Where'd the other guy go? What happened to you, dude? (laughs) Oh, my gosh. And it floors me that she still loves me. Not only she still loves me, and it's not that her love tank is almost empty and I'm just running out the clock. No, she loves me more now than she ever has. And I feel the same way. It's because, see, love endures. Marital love, friendship love, biblical love, agape love, it endures. You know, there are three types of love the Bible talks about. Three Greek words used to describe love. You know, in English, we would kind of say, I love my wife, I love the gators, I love Doritos. You know, you know when 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 I give you those three that, I would die for my wife. If I'm a Gator fan, I would, I would, it's all right, because I wouldn't die for them, even though they try to kill me on Saturday afternoon sometimes in these closed games and stuff like that. Okay, whatever. Um, but, but it's just whatever. I like them. And Doritos, I can live or live without them, but I, but I like the taste of them. You, you know what I'm talking about. But in the Greek language, it gives you specific words for those levels of love. I love my wife, agape. I love the gators, phileo, friendship. We're friends. We can be enemies too sometimes, but we're friends. And then there's a third kind. I don't know how it relates to Doritos, but anyway. uh, It's the intimate love between a husband and a wife. There are three legs of a stool you got to have them all and I will add this and then we're done here in the life of a church this biblical love the agape love has to be preeminent or else it falls apart you say well I thought Jesus should be preeminent that's the point yes Jesus is this kind of love. And so when you're in love with Jesus and you want to live for Him, it's not about you, it's about Him. And you're going to take that into consideration and it's going to motivate you as you relate to other people. And there's power in that kind of love. It attracts people. It it's like it, it's light to others. I can tell you going back 37 years ago, when I got saved, one of the things that attracted me to that church and to hear the message was the 
unconditional love that they had for one another at that time. Now, unfortunately, as time went on, some of them chose not to grow, and they began fighting with each other. But I will say, my home church now, one of the young men that was saved right around the same time I was saved is now the pastor of that church, and they are thriving because he has been preaching and teaching that kind of responsible biblical love. And it, it holds people together. That's the power of love in one big family. Someone asked me a while back, how have they been able to put up with you for 26 years at that church? I'll say, oh, I got it. It's an easy answer. They love me with the love of Jesus. Simple as that. And I hope that I reciprocate that love too. That's power. It endures. It's strong. Would you stand with me, everybody?